Welcome to the Zachtronics Podcast, where we go behind the scenes of how indie games are made. I'm Zach Barth, the creative director of Zachtronics, and my guest today is David Galindo of Vertigo Gaming, uh, perhaps most famous for their game Cook Serve Delicious, Cook Serve Delicious 2, etc. Um, hey, hey, David, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Zach, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, can I guess we should get started, um, and I, maybe not everybody has played Cook Serve Delicious yet. Do you want to describe like what, what the game is? Sure. It's a cooking game, obviously. It is. It's a action-packed, uh, I call it a hardcore cooking simulator. Um, when I guess it, it's not really that, but that's that's a pretty good sales point. I don't know. It seems to work so far. Uh, there's been two games, Cook, Serve, Delicious, Cook, Serve, Delicious 2. And uh, you're basically just uh, taking orders from customers and rapidly making their order and serving it. And um, it kind of sounds casual when I explain it, but once you see it, it's it's very much kind of a not casual game. That's why it's hardcore. Yes, exactly. Okay. Fun fact on that, uh, you cannot describe your game as hardcore on the Apple App Store. They will reject you. What? Because <laughs> it's like like porn? Yeah, I guess they, they see a flag and they're like, no, you can't use the word hardcore in your description. I'm like, oh. Softcore oh, game, <laughs> game? I don't know. <laughs> so I just had to take that out. I, I think I I forgot what I put, but it wasn't nearly as good. <laughs> wow. Okay. Not surprising, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Um. Okay. So it's a cooking game. Um. What? Okay. So I don't even. Okay. So I I've played Cook Serve Delicious one and two. Um. I played Cook Serve Delicious when it like came out on the Humble Store years ago. I I've never bought anything from the Humble Store except I bought Cook Serve Delicious because it was on wow. sale, and I was like, like oh that looks like it's a game about cooking. I like cooking, and I I played it, and I actually kind of bounced off it. Like yeah. it, it didn't for some reason it didn't stick, and like it's it's and I I've, I've been playing it more recently because it's I don't play a lot of games, but it's kind of nice because it doesn't really demand that much. It's kind of like old school and like doesn't ask you to like get super involved with it. It's not like a forty hour game. You can just show up and cook some food and quit and that's kind of cool for someone who doesn't really play a lot of games anymore um but like how does how does cook serve delicious fit into like the the hierarchy of cooking games not hierarchy like the space of cooking games well when i uh because i was um inspired by the japanese game the or no Ryori, um that was like mm. a, on a demo disc on playstation yes yeah i played that yeah we yeah. talked about that at pax yeah, yeah that was a fantastic game i loved it and so um, when I was kind you ever, of getting, did you ever play the full game? I I never did. I so you, you just played the demo, and then that was your inspiration. That was enough for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like I, I I didn't know at the time how to even import a game or play an imported game. That was beyond me. Um, but yeah. So I uh, looking at the market, I was kind of like, well, surely there's games like mine out there that are these crazy cooking games, but aimed more at the mainstream gamer than the uh, I don't know, bored mom at home downloading mobile games for her phone or something, you know? And it was all just kind of like Diner Dash and, and just these really simple c- kind of cooking, but not really games. And um, okay. I was like, gosh, there's there's nothing here. And I thought maybe I could create something from that. And um, it was hard at first. I don't think a lot of, I think a lot of people even now look at it and dismiss it like, oh, cooking game. But I think a lot of games like Overcooked and Battle Chef Brigade and a lot of these newer cooking games have kind of brought cooking to a more game mainstream audience, you know. Interesting. Yeah. And Do you I think, think it's because yeah. of like cooking shows? I think so. I think 
cooking has gotten really popular with stuff like that. I love MasterChef and mm. watching it's got, cooking games. <laughs> it's <laughs> gotten both shows. both popular and competitive. It has. I I really enjoy it. I get all into like Chef Ramsay. Like it's just fantastic just watching him scream at people and I get really motivated after watching a show like that. I just get right back into programming. I'm just like I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's just fun. I, I think a lot of people can relate to it and I think uh you know, I don't relate to it. I hate cooking, but I think cooking in general is just a neat idea and concept, and it's fun to watch. Okay. That's right. We talked about the packs that you don't, you don't really, you're not really that into cooking, I'm but not. you like the idea of cooking, and you like watching people cook, like on cooking shows. I do. Um, it's it's just there's just something I don't know, relaxing, weirdly relaxing about watching people run around everywhere, making sure their beef Wellington isn't overdone. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And then I guess that's, I mean, if, if you're into like the, like not the actual practice of cooking, but like the methodical, like process of cooking or how it appears to be this like methodical thing, like that's kind of what Cook Serve Delicious is about. Like, I don't talk to a lot of people in games. I don't really pay attention to a lot of games, but there's something about Cook Serve Delicious that I think is, is sort of special and bold in a way that like, like when I look at like all those other cooking games and like is Overcooked more popular than Cook Serve Delicious? I believe so. If you look okay. at like Steam Spy and stuff, uh, it seems more like ma- like gamey almost from what I've seen. Yeah, that one that's is... like a kitchen madness game, right? It is. Where, like everybody's running around and like f- attempting to cooperate but failing, and it like cap- it focuses on like that aspect of it. Yeah, it's more of like a party game kind of. Okay. Everybody grab a controller type game. I, I like when I look at a game like that. I think okay, that's a game that happens to be about cooking, but like it's not really about cooking. But like Cook Serve Delicious. There's a kind of thing that, like I said, when I came into indie games, I wasn't, I didn't know anything about making games, but I wanted to make like a certain kind of experience and making a a game was like the best way that I had on hand to express that. And, Mm. And I made these games that are like not conventional games that are about like engineering and like these weird tasks where it was really like the task first and the game part as an afterthought. And I don't want to like insult Cook Serve Delicious, but (laughs) it's more, it's more of a pure design. Like it wasn't, it doesn't look like, to me, it doesn't look like a game that was trying super hard to be a game. It was just trying to be this experience first and foremost. And then you managed to make it into a viable game. Like, do you, does that sound like? I I agree with that. I I see what you're saying. Um, it, It is, it's kind of like a formless kind of a bunch of things kind of happen and yeah i see what you're saying um kind of like a WarioWare type of is what a lot yeah. of people say yeah it, it doesn't have this like huge structure that's like forcing you to do something like it's not like it's not even about winning and losing right like right. it's not yeah it, it, it's just like an it's an i don't know I, it's it's this it's strange right like it's i don't know and so i, th- I think that's one of the things that really attracts me to it is that it it's it's kind of brave like not made by intending to be brave or whatever but it just is sort of brave in a way that like a lot of games aren't like they i don't know it's just and the fact that it's so successful like i think in the, in the scheme of things like cooks are delicious is it, it seems to be successful like on steam and like you're able to employ people and work on sequels and stuff so like by that measure it's successful but like it's 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 not like other games i, I think, think that's it, really cool it's a it's that's a neat uh perspective because when i look at um I don't actually know it until I watch other people play it and I can actually kind of just watch the dynamics at play. Uh, when you're involved in it, you don't notice things like um, five or ten seconds go by and nothing happens. Like literally nothing happens. You're just waiting for a customer. And that seems like an eternity when you're watching it, like to me. But when mm-hmm. you're playing it, you're just kind of like, well, the clock's ticking and I don't have a customer. And <laughs> I'll just sit here and wait. And then a customer comes in. 
And a lot of games, there's just, there's not a kind of, things are always happening in games. Whether mm-hmm. you're trying to escape something, or you're trying to reach a goal or something. And with mine, it's just kind of, some of it just involves not doing anything. And you're just kind of yeah. sitting there waiting for something. And it's not, in in the game's logic, it makes sense. Because yeah. you're not going to be getting customers all the time. Uh, but it's... I guess, you know, if, if I was to really look at it and break down the dynamics of it, um, I think maybe there's a tendency to think, well, I've got to fill the space with something, you know, I've got to keep the player <laughs> engaged. You know, this, is, this isn't going to work, but in a weird way, it's kind of, I can see why people say it's equal parts stressful and relaxing. Like it's, oh, it's, interesting. It's a weird balance. Yeah, when you get that downtime, it's nice because like you need it. Yeah, which and is it's weird. It's, yeah. It is weird, and I there's probably less of that in the sequel. Um, and I think maybe to its detriment, maybe there's uh, less of that in the sequel. Uh, Interesting. I, I do like the first game in that it's it's not as crazy. Uh, there's not as much stuff going on in the first one, and I think a lot of people kind of prefer that. Uh, you know, you'll find people that are on both sides. Like, I like the first game. I like the second game more. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think that's neat. I think it's neat to have two games that are kind of the same, but also completely different from each other. Yeah, we see that a lot. I mean, because we made Space Chem was like our first big commercial game, and by like compared to like our more contemporary games, Space Chem is like almost unplayable. <laughs> like, it's so hard. It has so many crazy rules. It's just it's just so different. Whereas the stuff we're making lately is more streamlined. Oh sure, and yeah. and like there's still a lot of our players who like their, Space Chem is their favorite Zachronics game, and it's like how could that be your favorite? It's the worst, <laughs> but like it's not the worst. Like it's it has like its own kind of gameplay in it, and a lot of people like really liked that. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it, it is weird when you go back to it and you're like, "No, what are you doing? Don't don't play my old stuff. Yeah. Look at the new stuff. It's so much exactly. better." <laughs> and it's yeah. I, part of the problem I think for me is that like I I don't think I could go back and make something like that original Space Chem because so much of it was like so, so much of the process came from stuff I didn't know and like did did poorly or did by accident and like didn't shouldn't have done and didn't wouldn't do and. Like, I, you can't recreate that very well. <laughs> yeah. Like, when the sequel came out to my game, uh, there were a lot of people that were... It, it the Fundamentally, the the uh, campaign is very different from the first game. A lot of... Well, not a lot, but there were a lot of uh, people who were very loud and vocal who were telling me, you need to put everything from the first game and the second game, that kind of campaign. And oh, so interesting. I went back and I put as much of it as I could in uh, with extra modes and stuff and it didn't feel good like that was the first time where i added stuff because people were requesting it but as i was playing it i'm like this isn't this doesn't feel right and it certainly doesn't feel like the first game but this is what people want and that's what people say they want that's what people think they want yeah Yeah. and uh and so then i made a trophy it said you could never go back and it was uh do these six foods from the first game in the second game and, and get it done perfectly or something and it was kind of like an in joke to myself because I'm like, don't, don't. It's weird, you know. Yeah. Fans always think they know what they want, and uh, it was neat actually doing it and putting it in the game and realizing how it didn't work. It, it just doesn't work in that kind of game. Uh, did the, you keep it in the game? I did. Uh, okay. It was like classic mode with, um, mm. and and classic mode has these boosters and detractors and you have to plan your menu right and oh yeah it, it it works fine but it's not anything like the first game 
and um, it doesn't detract from it because it's just an extra mode. But um, I was, you know, after I did it, I thought I was right to to not go down that path. Um, I think personally, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if it makes people happy, I guess I'm glad I added it. I, I don't know. That's the generous way to put it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 very much in, in our office, we very much have an attitude of that our our players they know like when they like they know when they have a problem but when they suggest a solution it's we're much more skeptical right yeah. so if someone says like oh like if they say i want bring back classic mode i want classic mode it doesn't even necessarily mean that they want classic mode like it means that to me what i hear is like oh there's something that was in classic mode that we didn't manage to keep and like they like that aspect of it you know, like yeah. maybe some people really think that like that specific way of doing it is like the best way that'll ever happen. But in, in the scheme of things, they've only seen two ways to do something. Like there's usually a fundamental lack of creativity when our <laughs> players try to solve problems for themselves, right? Because we can do anything. And that's what it means to be a game designer is that you can do anything. There are an infinite number of systems and rules and mechanics and anything that you can build. And that like when someone says, oh, do this, it's actually like not helpful as a designer because like, that, that they're not they're trying to tell you like they're they're not trying to like prohibit you from doing your job but they're like telling you what they want in a way that's already like like been filtered through their own design process which if that was the case like they would be the game designer not us right and so like there's the 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 uh, yeah i guess hopefully none of our uh super upset you know fans are listening <laughs> to this but like it's that it's as a designer like when you listen to your customers you you have to like both listen to what they're saying and then you have to listen to what they're not saying. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's and, like point. what the, what's their intent? Like when they when somebody, you know, when when people when they when they say they want something, right? What is it that's actually like hurting them on the inside that's causing them to say that? Yeah. Like I've been on both sides of that. Um as far as like a fan of a game uh like Nidhogg, I don't know if you know uh that mm -hmm. it's like that multiplayer game and then Nidhogg 2 uh the trailer came out and it was this totally different visual look and initially i was completely put off by it and i'm like man i don't like the way this looks this isn't at all how i thought it was going to look in my head i was thinking oh if you did a realistic version of these two fencing guys it'd be great but instead they went <laughs> with this like weird grotesque kind of thing yeah but the more i looked at it and then once i started playing it i really loved it but yeah looking at the youtube trailer when it came out like it was the ratio was like 80 percent dislike oh like, wow by the tens of thousands like just yeah. universally hated the look and i was just kind of i felt bad because the main creator um said you know what if you like the first game go back to the first game i'm doing something different for the second game and like that makes sense from a game designer perspective but that that does not you shouldn't say that yeah <laughs> like reminds me of the diablo 3 stuff with like the diablo 3 color palette Oh, I didn't know about this one. Oh, God. So I don't want to turn this into a, an outdated game news podcast. <laughs> but basically, like, so Diablo 1 and 2, like, Diablo 1 was, like, super dark and spooky. Diablo 2 is pretty dark and spooky, even though it took place, like, outside of dungeons and stuff. And so you get more natural environments. And then Diablo 3, um, when they released screenshots initially, it was, like, kind of bright and colorful. Like, they sort of turned down, the, like, the grimdark, like, a little bit. Oh. And a bunch of fans were, like, air quotes here, upset that, like, <laughs> Like, it was no longer dark and spooky Diablo. And so, like, 
and it was all like post-processing effects and like some like art people were having fun at blizzard or something but like there were a group of fans that were like really upset by this because it's like hashtag not their diablo and <laughs> they um somebody like took up a screenshot and then like color adjusted it in photoshop and like made everything like darker and desaturated oh, no. and was like this is what the game should look like and they posted it on reddit and it was just like a whole thing and it, and it, oh, it is it's, it's the same yeah art direction is especially hard because it's 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 often like not rooted in like functionality right and so yeah. it really is someone's taste and it's like oh that's a tough one i i wanted to say like i i emailed you recently about some a usability thing in cook serve delicious too oh where, yes yeah because you have to you have to so the, i mean like, we never even really talked about the game like you you people come to you with with oh. um with stuff they want you to make and then when you you like pick their order and then it pops up into like food making mode where you um i play with the keyboard and i think that's how real people play oh sure but you can also play with other inputs or whatever, which is a thing we can talk about. But yeah. um, you hit keys on the keyboard that correspond to ingredients and you have to like do the right ingredients in the right order. And it's tough to know which key you have to pitch, like push for which ingredient. Like they're often like kind of phonetic, but off like onions is N. And it's uh -huh. like N is not the letter I think of when I think <laughs> of the word onions, right? Yeah. But there's like other stuff that starts with O and so you have to match it. But the, the difficulty is that what, what the thing that tells you what to what you need to put in is at the bottom of the screen. But the key that like the, the mapping that tells you which key you push to get that ingredient is off to the side of the screen. So you have to look back and forth. And so uh, so I, I, I emailed you and then asked like, why don't you underline like the key in the word when it occurs, right? Like that's yeah. that's how like the Windows file menus and stuff work. Like that's a classic computer thing. And and the, but I felt bad as I was saying it because like here I am like I'm telling you my problem and right away like I can't not suggest a solution and yeah. I think oh, I'm a game designer so clearly I am qualified to suggest a solution <laughs> but like that's actually not true and I actually felt bad for saying that because it's like no I actually really don't know your full design space like like there are, like and I, I suspected there were reasons why you didn't do something like that but like I still couldn't help but like feed my comment to you in the form of a suggestion so like with you as the receiving person i would hope that when you hear something like that from me you don't like maybe you hear what i've said about underlining stuff but what the like the real takeaway should be that like i am having like i i i I'm unable to quickly, you know, match a key to the ingredient and I feel bad because of it, right? <laughs> and like, that's the real like truth behind it, right? You could yeah. solve that in like an infinite number of ways. Yeah, when I got that email, I uh, if I didn't know it was from you, I would have just said, oh, thank you. That's a very good, uh, very good <laughs> idea. Now we'll take that into consideration in the future. Thank yeah. you for writing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I was able to tell you what I was thinking and I, and honestly, I should be more, uh, direct with people and I usually am you know um, it's a tough thing I, I try to I try to explain all my design decisions like that when someone takes the effort to email me but like sometimes you get people who can't let go yeah. right and like they hear your explanation but like it's not any it's it's tough right that's the I guess that's the difficulty of engaging with your fans directly it's is always that, like, hard I'm sitting on an email right now that I've had in my inbox for three days and somebody emailed me and said hey I uh, I, he didn't even tell me what because the game's on mobile and now it's on console and it's on PC mm -hmm. and he's like I uh, had to restore my device and I lost all my progress you should definitely save progress in the cloud and I demand some kind of compensation or something <laughs> and I don't know how to respond to that I like you should have backed up your stuff man sorry yeah like but unless it was on mobile maybe I guess it must be because Steam yeah. has cloud save and stuff so I'm yeah. always, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> if you have any <laughs> suggestions, let me know. Because <laughs> it's just kind of like a, hopefully he's not listening. Yeah. I don't know. But how do you, how do you, how do you usually respond to people that kind of just, you know, like, 
it's not my fault, but I feel bad still. Usually, I, I, if I can, I'll try to fix their problem. The problem with, I mean, so what I, if I was on PC, I would say like, okay, hey, maybe like we can, like, here's a cheat code that can like try to get you back to where you were or oh, sure. like, like here's, um, like here's the things I can do. I think mobile is kind of part of the problem there is that I don't even think you could back up your stuff and like they don't, like Steam implements a cloud save, a cloud backup by default, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, but like like you know like the a lot of these providers don't do that and like they make it like apple it's they make it like i think it's deliberately impossible yeah. for you to access any of the files on your phone so that you couldn't even back it up if you wanted to like, right like yeah. even if you knew that mm-hmm. you were going to reset your device and you needed to delete the stuff they don't even give you an option to do it and so i, I think on a lot of those platforms people have gotten in the habit like big games have gotten in the habit of implementing cloud backup like i have a friend who makes um like web games on congregate and uh-huh. they save all their stuff in local storage but apparently local storage is so volatile that um you have to implement some sort of cloud backup oh weird. right otherwise your players if you give a shit about your players save files you have to implement cloud backup but the problem is that congregate does not provide this as an api oh geez, right you have yeah. to roll your own and it's like what the fuck like you're literally on a store <laughs> that, or like a site that has like authentication and like all of this stuff built in like why do they not have a cloud storage api and like maybe they do and my friend didn't know about it but like the the version he told me is that he had to go implement cloud storage if he wants to do that and oh it's like wow that, so I, some of these things are like problems created by like the platforms. I guess you can't. Sometimes you can explain that to like a customer, right? That like, but I mean, I guess yeah. you could have implemented cloud backup. Yeah, no, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, for me, when I get emails like that, it's always that someone's computer like got messed up. Oh, sure. And it's like, well, should have had a better computer. Yeah. Like, sorry. Like, I don't, I don't know. But then we have Steam. So Steam backup usually makes it so there's minimal loss. Yeah, you think so? I guess um, I need to find out. I just don't. I don't. I might not touch that for a while. I mean, honestly, one maybe maybe like that's a sign to go consider implementing cloud like saves into like your mobile games. Well, like, I would have, but I'm using GameMaker Studio, and they don't even have <laughs> uh, they don't even have APIs for uh, iPhone. Yeah, uh, that probably does make it harder. Yeah, like iCloud, from what I've heard from other developers, is extremely terrible to implement. Like sometimes you can use it, sometimes Ooh. you don't. Sometimes when you call for it, it's not there. Sometimes it is. And it's just all kinds of weird. And yeah, the Steam one is so magical; it just automatically does it. Yeah, so it is good. nice. I I have I'm always terrified of losing somebody's save. Yeah, and I have three different redundant save uh, backups that I do with my game in case somebody says. Oh, interesting. Some, in case something happens, uh, they don't even know that I have redundant saves just filling up their hard drive just in case something happens. Because <laughs> we not, did that in. An- in Infinifactory because it saves to a single file. Oh, yeah. And so, like, the odds of that file getting messed up are very high. Oh, man. We actually now do all of our save files. They're, they're all, like, every solution for, like, a, a puzzle or whatever is in its own file. And so that has actually dramatically, oh. like, reduced the incident of, like, something just, like, corrupting the whole file because it's distributed across a bunch of files. Oh, that's but, neat. Um, and then, like, if you actually have, like, a file that is too important, you can do the thing, like, that you do where you make redundant copies. But... Yeah, um, saving is always terrifying. Whenever I have to is. do it after launch, like just this recently, I uh, had a new patch, and I didn't know this, but if you missed one of the patches before this patch, uh, your save file would crash the game at launch. <laughs> and people were like, "This game doesn't work," and I'm like, "Well, it works on all my machines. It works on my beta testers, you know, machines." But then come finding out, if you had missed that update, it somehow crashed. So it's just weird. It's just this weird uh, save files just terrify me so much. There's, 
I'm going to drop a tip in for anybody who has to work on this problem on a day-to-day -day basis. There's a um, there's a save a file like a technique for doing version save files. Uh, do you do like version save files, or is it kind of ad hoc? Or um, you mean like per patch, like a different kind of? So we we have so we, I guess the, the system we use is we have like a, a version number at the beginning of our save file, and then oh. we conditionally enable different like load and save. I guess you always save the latest version, but load logic becomes this conditional thing. Like oh, if we're on version four, like load this feature that we added in version four. Oh, interesting. And if you're on version five, do this other thing. And if you're on version six, actually don't do this part that we got rid of and replace it with other. And it, of all places, we got it from Minecraft. Oh, uh, apparently Keith had read an article, so that's one thing we took back from Minecraft. <laughs> Um, like uh, <laughs> Keith had read an article about their their save system and how they did version save files, and it's actually like it's really straightforward. Your code like reflects the history of your save file, and it's oh, wow. It, it, we've we've done like a bunch of like we're constantly rubbing the version of our save files, and we haven't yet knock on wood fucked it up. So oh interesting. Um, in the past, we sort of struggled with that kind of thing. Like you don't have to in this system, you don't have to update like old save files you just have to like like retain the ability to load old save files by having it be versioned like this uh, i'll post a link i guess when i post huh. this if i remember um it's super cool i usually do what i what i ended up doing is uh when i first published the game i threw in a hundred variables that i wasn't using and saved it to a save file <laughs> and now when i'm doing stuff i'm slowly using those variables for like extra options oh. that i add and extra this and extra that and once I run out of those hundred, then I'm I'm done adding new features. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. That's like super old school. Oh, like is it? Pre -alloc that's kind of, I don't know, that's got like an old school, like pre-allocating your memory and just, you know, having it <laughs> yeah, for later. So. It made sense at the time because I'm like, I never want to touch the save stuff again. So I'm just going to yeah. throw in a hundred extra save data thingies. And oh, uh, it's worked out really well. I, I highly recommend that. <laughs> 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 I don't know if I can in good conscience recommend that recommendation. Oh, man. Uh, it works for me. I guess that's the old mantra for like programmers. Whenever you're like, that's the wrong way to do it. Well, it works for me. And it works in the game. That's the theme of this podcast. <laughs> uh, we had somebody on who they, they program all of their game in Lua. Uh, we had somebody oh, on man. who didn't use version control. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you use version control, right? You know, uh, now you're going to have somebody on that doesn't really know how to program and yet programs all their games. So <laughs> that's me. Uh, I don't know if I use version control or not. I use Game Maker what? Studio. How do you, how do you I, everybody who's listening right now, their eyes are popping out of their head, I'm sure. <laughs> Wait, so do you know what version control is? I do not. Maybe I do. Uh, okay. <laughs> you tell how, me. What is your strategy for ensuring that when your computer explodes that you haven't lost all of your code? Oh, I, I back up every day. Like, uh, how do you how do you do that? GameMaker has like an export archive thing, and I just uh, export my save data, and it takes like forty five minutes. So there's a thing called version control, <laughs> which is where you take like a, a directory that has all of your code in it, and you have a program that can snapshot your code, basically. Oh, I see. And but when you snapshot it when you're done like adding a feature and so that way like if that feature doesn't pan out like you hoped while you're like in the middle of developing it you can roll it back and this also allows you to develop with other people because like they can make a feature and you can make a feature and then you can merge those features together huh it's an important it's an important tool i'm gonna say this like non-condescending no no yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's bonkers <laughs> cool. like so that's one of the first things you learn as a programmer is that you absolutely should be using version control because like it's bonkers not to be right because it's yeah, just not I, I bet you even it, game maker has that and i don't even pay attention like they they probably like 
So yeah, we can get into that in a second. Um, <laughs> so um, the, I think that the core, like the, the big value proposition is that it enables two people to work together and oh, okay. manages that kind of merging process. But it also works as like a sort of like, you can use version control by yourself and it becomes like a nice like way to like experimentally try stuff without having to figure out how to like roll it back if, it, if you don't like that feature, right? Like you could yeah. put experimental, like this is like, okay, here's the thing in practice because you have a shipped game that you work on is yeah. that you could work on features on branches which are like little offshoots that don't connect back in. So you can like branch off and work on a feature in isolation, but you can keep fixing like critical bugs in the game and keep pushing out like updates to the game without having to push those branches until you're finished with the branch and want to merge it back in. Oh, okay. That's yeah so it, it's super it's super cool there's a reason <laughs> literally all programmers ever use it um hey, yeah you know that's what? <laughs> it works for me no <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's the that is always what people say they're like oh everything's okay so it's definitely we can talk about this more later i don't want this to turn into a bad oh, sure. uh, version control i've certainly tutorial, seen but... like uh, i've certainly <laughs> seen programmers that have been like um production of this game has stopped because i've lost six months of Oh yeah, Data and, uh, you know, and I Project Zomboid. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Laptop that got stolen. It. Yeah, it's cre Yeah, it's it happened. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're not born knowing how to use version control, so it's understandable, but it's inexcusable. <laughs> like it's the ignorance of the law is not def like oh, sure. immunity from the law. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not gonna we're not gonna harp on on version control that much longer. Okay. Um, <laughs> so one of the one of the things that actually makes it tricky with stuff like Unity and Game Studio or Game Maker Studio is that they often have like special binary formats for like levels and stuff like in unity like mm -hmm. like the scenes originally i think were just binary files and the problem is you can't merge binary files typically because uh -huh. like it doesn't know which parts to keep and so like that might be a problem that someone oh, might I run see. into in game studio although i suspect by now like it's almost 2019 right like everybody yeah. uses version control for everything <laughs> and you can probably merge game maker files i don't know i don't know much about game maker i have to um, look i um i i found it funny because uh i think you dipped in Game Maker for the first time not too long ago, right? Yeah. And... Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of background. So I. Um, so this is one of the questions that I always ask on this podcast is if you make design decisions based on metrics. And mm. I can't ask you that because I know the answer was no up until very recently. <laughs> because when I was at, uh, at PAX and met David for the first time... Um, we were talking about metrics and he was talking about some problems where he where you had like achievements that people could get in the game but you didn't know like how many people were actually hitting them and it turned out that some of them were impossible yeah. um, i guess they weren't like proper achievements because they didn't come out through the steam ui they were just like internal achievements yes. and you had no idea which ones were even possible or not and because you're not collecting any metrics and so i i built like a small metric server which you are in the process of integrating with so that way you can know about these sort of things yes actually it's out and, uh, i have metrics oh awesome uh flying in it's cool. been exciting i've had a week uh to look at everything interesting well we'll have to come back to that sure yeah um so un unfortunately part of this required writing some game maker code so that way you could use <laughs> you could integrate with the service yeah game maker is not my favorite uh, game development environment uh, I, I in the knew, slightest i knew that was gonna happen because when you're like oh, i'm gonna check it out and download it and i, I thought to myself <laughs> you're gonna just you're gonna die <laughs> like you're gonna hate this I think, and yeah, sure enough. I mean, I, I love Game Maker Studio. I, I don't think I'll ever use anything else uh, for as long as I make games, unless I have to. Yeah. But uh, it, yeah, I know it's not the like the fanciest thing out there. Yeah, it's very. What's weird, like, it, I, the, honestly, like. I'm sure it's good at making games. The problems I ran into were just like, if you if you want to have like a list of data, there's like four different APIs to do it. And like some of them are better suited. Like there's an API just for binary data. 
right? Like uh, like bite arrays. Oh. And then there's also like, but you can also have normal arrays, but then like the arrays aren't very good. So there's also like lists, which are different from arrays. Yes. Like they're, and yeah. they all have completely different functions to interface with them. Like they just nothing in common. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's, okay, that's let's weird. let's talk about some proactive stuff instead of uh, shitting on technology. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, you, okay, how how big is your team? Because you're it's just you, you're the only full like core person. Actually, I don't even know. Yeah, you tell me. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's me just doing all the programming, game design, and then I have uh, Eric. He's doing the PR side. Uh, he does all that part time. He's going to start full time next year, and then um, I have. An artist. I have two artists. One that is pretty much full time contract, um, and the other one is kind of part time. She does the box arts and kind of the smaller detailed things. And then I have two writers that are on contract. All of these other people are contract uh, based. Um, so I have two writers, and um, then I just have a lot of beta testers, volunteer beta testers in uh, our Discord. Okay, and that's just about it really okay are any of the the people you work with local or are they all no everybody's everywhere uh interesting yeah it's weird but it it totally works okay like my artist is um in korea i think or taiwan it's taiwan and um she uh it's funny talking to her because i send her these notes on uh, i need these chicken strips drawn this way and I get them back and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Our chicken strips are huge in, in the United <laughs> States. They need to be a lot bigger than this. She's like, what? I don't understand. So I'd have to I'd have to send her all these pictures of just these massive American foods. And I'm like, no, bigger. It needs to be juicier. It needs to be, you know. <laughs> so it's 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 really fun seeing her perspective wow. on a lot of things. Okay, that's super cool. I didn't know that. You're in Texas too. So yes. if there's going to be big chicken strips, it's in Texas. Oh, yeah. Only the, the most monstrous ones. and like you get eight of them in a basket and it's just funny because like i guess when you think about it it's really weird like okay i need cream gravy in this basket full of just these fried chicken strips these humongous chicken strips and uh having to explain it in detail and and all that i'm i'm starting to realize how weird our cuisine is here (laughs) (laughs) okay um so how did your studio get started so you used to make like crap like really like crappy indie games like a long oh, sure. time ago well, right do. like you had like but, a, yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just it was it was just a complete mess uh back when i first started i made my very first game and the creator of game maker mark overmars uh he was in the forums with us like it was such a tiny little group and i showed him my game and i'm like hey i made this game i'm gonna sell it for 15 bucks it's made entirely out of clip art that I found on the internet because I didn't know any better. <laughs> and a lot of sound samples from walmart.com, the MP3 <laughs> files, like the 30-second clips you get when you listen <laughs> to stuff. So I saved okay. a bunch of my like action movie clips and stuff. I'm like, oh, man, I have all these songs in here. And so he emailed me back. And he's like, yeah, this game's real bad. Yeah, you shouldn't sell it. Um, it's, it's very terrible. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Well, thank thank you. <laughs> so that was the last time I tried selling a game for like 10 years. All the other games that I had made after that were free because okay. my confidence was just shot. And that was actually a very good thing um, <laughs> because I just learned, you know. And I was trying everything. I was doing puzzle games and platforming games and just all kinds of weird stuff. And it's hard, of course, looking at it now. It's all bad because I did the art too. 
And I thought the art <laughs> looked great. You know, I thought everything was great. And uh, it wasn't until The Oil Blue, which was the game before Cooks Are Delicious, that I could afford to hire some people. And um, just actually just two people. Uh, I also use uh, the same composer that I've used forever, uh, Jonathan Gear. And he makes um, pretty much all the music for my games now. Okay. Um, and it was, I was on a very limited budget when I was making stuff like that. And we would have to cut deals like uh, with my composer for Cooks Are Delicious. I told him um, I'd like this many songs and all this stuff. He's like, well, it's going to be expensive. But if you want, we can make it to where uh, I'll give you this music. And six months from now, I can put it on a royalty free site and sell it. I'm like, yeah, that's totally fine. Like no one's going to. You know, I've been to royalty-free music websites, and there's like tens of thousands of songs. So I thought, yeah. no one's ever going to find it. That's totally cool. I thought I got one over on him. If you listen to commercials in the U.S., we've been in the national campaign for Subway, that music from Cook Served <laughs> Delicious. We've been on like what? this eBay <laughs> knockoff sites. I get emails like every other month where like, I heard your music on tophatter.com and what, what, what do you do? Like, do you know that? You know, very concerned. Like, did these people steal from you? So I'd always have to explain why that is. And uh, yeah, that subway thing was really cool. Like it was like a Halloween subway commercial. And <laughs> it's just these weird random websites. And it's actually news to my composer too, because he just sells it. Like he doesn't know where it ends up. Yeah. And it's just kind of everywhere. So it both That's annoys amazing. me and it's hilarious at the same time because I feel like it cheapens my game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> now well, it looks like I'm just using royalty-free music. Uh, but that's only the first From the game. Subway commercial. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've heard this before. <laughs> but would you, would you do the same thing for the next game? Or would no, you just I buy some I, exclusive music? So Cooks Are Delicious 2, it's all exclusive. I said, look, oh, okay. we're going to lock this down. I don't, <laughs> I don't want this to happen again. And so that's what we did. <laughs> The Cook Serve 2 Delicious theme song has people saying Cook Serve and Delicious. So no one's probably going to use that in a Subway commercial, even if it was royalty free, I guess. I, Maybe they would. Who knows? Know. Yeah, that would I, be so I, weird. It's so weird. <laughs> um, well, that was not what I was expecting. That kind of derailed my, my thought process a little bit. Oh, sorry. Um, I just had to share that because it's just so random. That's amazing. So um, what what's your background? Uh, I have a degree in... What do I have? Hang on. Bachelors of Communication. It's on my wall. Okay. I, I forget. Because that's how so, much I use it. How did you get from that to games? Uh, I didn't really... I just got that because it was like the most generic degree I could think of. Like, I didn't know what field I wanted. So I'm like, what's the most basic-ass like degree I can get? And that was it. And so I think I graduated with like a 2.2 GPA or something. Like, it was <laughs> super bad. And I just didn't care. I hated school. And like uh, I got a D and uh, D minus, I think, in college algebra. And I thought, well, I'm never going to use math, whatever. Like I'll barely <laughs> pass this. And here I am programming with math. Like I, I just like I'm asking my friend questions and he's like a big math guy. He's like, what? How do you not know how to find the percentage of something? I'm like, are you going to tell me or what? Do I have to Google it? And he's like, I thought you were a programmer. I'm like, just give me, just tell me how to do this. And so it's just, it's, my background is terrible for game making, right? Like all of it. Well, apparently not. I mean. <laughs> well, it's like all self-taught pretty much. Yeah. Like it's weird. Um, game Maker, the old version of Game Maker didn't even let you program. Uh, you'd have to use drag and drop. 
Oh, yes. And you would just drag and drop like a little arrow box. And the arrow box is like, move forward uh, three at three speed. And um, you would have to learn GML, which is Game Maker language. And uh, slowly I was learning that stuff until Game Maker Studio 2, where you could just turn off all drag and drop and just do pure code. I ended up doing it that way. And like, I couldn't program how to display Hello World on a monitor on any other program. But like in Game Maker, I can do practically anything I want. And that's kind of limiting, but awesome at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's all it really is required, right? You just need to be able to express yourself. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so did you like? Did you work any jobs like in between being an indie and getting out of college that were like connected to this in any way? Uh, yeah, like absolutely. A... I was a barista, and that directly influenced my <laughs> <laughs> cooks are delicious stuff, like big time. Uh, were you working on the game while you were a barista? I was. Um, oh, huh. I, I, I like the rush hour dynamics that was that came straight from that because uh, I would get those things, and uh, there's, it's kind of a funny. I guess inside joke in, in the game, all the cus- customers have this plain expression. Like they're not happy or sad. They're just very, I guess, to a, a meh looking look. Like just yeah, yeah. Like, everybody looks kind of yeah, kind of blah. Yeah, just a very <laughs> blah look. And um, when I got the first couple of customers in from my artist, I'm like, no, no, no. They need to look like they've been defeated in life, but they're not unhappy. Like they're just living their life. <laughs> But they are not happy. I don't want to see any smiles or anything. Is, is she, that what real people look like at Starbucks? I, that's how I felt there. <laughs> so I'm like, I... Oh, you, that's how you felt working there? That, kinda, but that's how I saw everybody too, because it was in a hospital. So I'd have nurses all the oh, time. Oh, interesting. And uh, I hated all the nurses because they never tip. And they hated me because <laughs> I was very lazy. And it was just, it was just a very bad dynamic, that whole place. But I learned so much from working there. And... Oh. Um, yeah, it, it directly influenced my game making because I was, some people that play the game, they're like, wow, this is just like uh, me working at a restaurant in real life. And I'm like, yeah, that's because it kind of <laughs> kind of directly influenced from where I was working. Is there anything else that's like a direct life lesson? Mm, gosh, not really, because I was pretty much a barista full time until Cooks Are Delicious took off. And then I was able to stop doing that and just do games full time. Uh, I guess, yeah, some of the other jobs I've had, like at Sears and telemarketing, I've had terrible jobs, like just (laughs) absolutely terrible jobs. And I guess if you were to connect it, uh, telemarketing and stuff and being a barista, because I was not a, I could not really stand up for myself, I guess. Like I was very socially awkward and, uh, now I still am kind of, but at least I can actually hold a conversation with people because when you're telemarketing and you're serving coffee, you're directly uh, in front of that person and you're giving it all you got. And sometimes they will let you know when you ruin their day, like you get their drink <laughs> wrong or you called them during dinner when they're having dinner with their family. And how would you like it if I called you during dinner? What's your phone number? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just selling insurance. Are you going to buy some? Please don't. And I'd be very aware that the manager was pick up the phone and he was listening into my call. So I couldn't just scream that back at him. I'd be like, yes, sir. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Thank you. And it's just, oh my gosh, like <laughs> that, that very good growing experiences, not great jobs all that much. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What about you? Do you, do you have, what's your stuff? What, what's your background? 
Oh, that's unimportant. Right. Yeah, I guess. I <laughs> no, it, it's kind of funny. You're the not a lot of people ask me questions. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess podcast. that's not really. No, the... it's, <laughs> it's not why we're here. Um, <laughs> I kind of always wished that I had worked at a game studio or something beforehand because I'd like to open up a game studio at some point, but I have no idea what that looks like or what what a. But, good don't you studio. have a game studio? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have like an office, but I don't have anybody. Like it's all remote stuff. So it's kind of like, like nice, getting employees. Yeah, yeah. Like local employees and stuff. Like, I, <laughs> like you know, like people that where I can go in their cubicle and be like, that looks great. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. I don't really need to have that. Like, I probably shouldn't have that. And yet, I don't know where all this is going. Like, I don't know what my end goal should be. What, what, when, when is it when I can think, you know, I've made it. I finally made it. Like, have I already made it? I don't, I don't know. It's weird. Game making's weird. That's, it is. That's a good question. Yeah. That's. I mean, like, what? Like, what do you th- like? What do you think the answer is for you? I thought it was get my own studio and have employees and have a Christmas party and have ugly sweater day. I don't know. Like, just weird. Just a weird. The more I I think about it, the more and the more you see all these studios shutting down. And when you think about, because. My employees are contract, uh, most of them, pretty much all of them. You know, if something goes sideways, well, we just won't make another game. Um, but if they were employees, I don't want to have to, you know, fire people. You know, my uh, cousin owns a, um, he co-owns an oil, uh, because I live in oil country. So they have like an engineering oil firm kind of thing. So I was asking him questions because he has like 100 people under him. I said, well, gosh, um What's going to happen when, you know, the oil bust happens? Because right now we're in a big oil boom, but eventually that's going to happen. He goes, you know what? I, th- I think about that. And if that happens, we'll just fire everybody. And I wasn't <laughs> expecting that at all. I was like, what? You can't just say that. He's like, well, yeah, that's what we do. That's no big deal. And I guess maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. I guess you kind of have to think that way if you're a big CEO guy. But I don't know. Like I would take that especially if my team's only like five people you know yeah like we're shutting down the company and it's like five people in the same room you know but why am i even thinking that way i would assume that if i have a studio like that we're successful i don't know yeah no that's i mean so basically what you're describing is all stuff that i've done yeah yeah right like we right away we got an office because I, i i i couldn't i maybe i could work remotely i don't know i i for whatever reason, I've insisted on having a local team. So yeah. we're in an office. We're all working together. It enables everybody to see what, what everybody else is up to. I, I think it, it enables us to be very fast, right? Like our, our current record is about like, or pace or record, I don't know, about nine months a game. That's so right? crazy. Oh, It man. is, yeah. And we would not be able to do that if we were distributed and everybody was like away at different times and like that that just wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, and so we've had an office, but that means you have to have local people, which means that you have to... You know, like it's expensive, right? It's it's expensive having local people and having to like pay payroll and like benefits and like health insurance and stuff. Yeah. And we um we thought that Ironclad Tactics was going to be a big hit, and when it wasn't, we we didn't have as much money as we thought we had, mm. and uh, we we totally like slashed the team in half. Oh. Right? Yeah, and, it, and it's tough. And then I was all like, "Oh, I'm, I'm not going to hire people again." And then like bullshit, like I hired people <laughs> later, like when we needed to, right? Yeah. And it's like you just kind of you just kind of get like 
in not into it i don't know like you just get used to it right like that's what running a business is when you have to like hire people and have a place is that like you have to make decisions like that sometimes fortunately it gets easier because you just get numb inside and, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it, it's weird yeah. like uh telltale you know shut down all that stuff oh yeah and i don't know if it was through that or what but cliff blazinski the guy that made gears of war and stuff he, he had his own company that he shut down recently Yep. he was like, you know what? I paid my employees months of severance and they should be able to do that too. And one em- former employee of his kind of wrote back and said, oh, it is three weeks, months now? That's weird. <laughs> and he's like, well, maybe I was exaggerating a little bit. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> like you should know better than to say something like that. But like it's it's kind of like it's the state of this industry where you can brag about being able to afford severance to your employees, you know, like what a weird <laughs> Thing. what a weird industry we're in yeah it's it's barely an industry it's a, yeah and and I used, it is a field that briefly employs people <laughs> and it's it's funny because i used to uh be kind of embarrassed like when people ask me what do i do uh, i would normally tell them i'm a barista before i would tell them that i make games uh <laughs> but now the great thing about making money is you don't give a crap what anybody else thinks like if anything you're just <laughs> kind of proud of it's like oh what do you do i make games you make games and some people are like does that pay well i said oh it pays the bills i mean yeah. <laughs> and i kind of like it when they ask me that because then i can actually tell them because nobody <laughs> ever asks you like they just assume oh that probably doesn't make anything <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah kind of just and you get some weird answers kind of like one guy's like you should make a football game and i'm like i think they make football games uh, they make madden he's like oh yeah i got that but you should make one I'm like okay great thanks Thank you for this. Kind of sounds like a Texas problem. <laughs> I think everybody in Seattle knows that oh, making games right. is like makes a ton of money, right? That's like, totally right. It's a very much a uh, Texas thing because one lady told me, "Oh my gosh, like in the movies." I'm like, "What <laughs> the movies?" <laughs> I don't. Thanks, I guess. Like people are always shocked. <laughs> I feel like yeah, in Seattle, everybody's just like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, you and everybody else, right? Every everybody here does like bullshit, like made up stuff. <laughs> Like, I make websites. I make uh, video games. I make movies. <laughs> I mean, it's like okay, <laughs> like it's just like the Hollywood of computers. Yeah, like oh, you're you're one of those computer guys that types <laughs> on their keyboard real fast. Like it's especially weird here because I live in West Texas and we're uh, like three years in a row we're like the highest home ownership, highest home prices ever. But we're not what? like a wealthy community or anything. Like apartment prices are like fifteen hundred dollars for the most basic apartment you can get. Uh, wow! And it's that's it's crazy. That's like Redmond. That's crazy. And it's so weird because our town is it, there's no tourism. Like there's nothing to see here. Why would you come here except for Ratliff Stadium, like Friday Night Lights? That's uh, <laughs> the basis of our city, I guess. But there's like thirty hotels that sprung up, like these big, huge hotels, and they're all. Just for oil people to live in. Oh, is that why? Is yeah. that why the prices went up? You guys have an oil boom going oh, yeah. on there? It's big. And so I feel uh. in a weird way, like there's never been so many people in our city and I never felt more alone because like yeah. nobody does what I do around here. Like it, when I do open a studio and stuff, I'll probably move to Dallas. And, oh, um, interesting. That would be neat. But like it, it's, I very much enjoy GDC and PAX because nobody around here does what I do and it's, and on one hand, it's cool because I'm kind of the weird guy <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes money with games. But then on the other hand, uh, there's something to having people 
locally and i bet that is neat to have your own team and being there and you're able to do stuff way faster than me like that's yeah. that's amazing there there's so many game developers in seattle which i really couldn't care like i yeah like there's too many yeah right yeah, but like having a team Uber drivers that were they were game developers probably <laughs> <I had> a, <laughs> yeah just everybody makes indie games in seattle yeah um so that part i don't at this point that was it fun at first there weren't as many i actually it does i this is petty but it feels less special <laughs> right when everybody's doing it now yeah and like there was a time when not that us in the the 2000 you know like like early 2010 and 2008 were like the first people to make video games but like it, it felt yeah. like a special thing now it's like everybody does it but one thing that does not get old is having like a team of people that every day you can go into yeah. and, and work with it is it is it's nice like i think it's good 2010 there were like i think maybe three people making indie games it was jonathan blow and uh uh what's his name edmund mcmillan and the team meat guys and i think that's it there there were more people <laughs> oh <laughs> phil fish that guy i remember phil fish yeah exactly <laughs> um it was weird yeah it, that was a cool time uh i was not involved at all in that time but it was neat to look at it and be like wow i want to be like those guys when did you start making quick serve delicious i think it was 2014 2013 okay actually that's when you started working on it when i started working on it probably 2012 okay so that was right when everything was picking up okay yeah that sounds right right. because that was when that was when we were working on ironclad tactics was in 2012 and that was that was i think that was like when the indie game stuff was starting to blow up because that was when people were like oh they're indies on steam and they're being successful yeah space chem came out at the very beginning of 2011 oh and that that was the time to have like an indie game on steam because they would actually feature if you if you were an indie game on steam you were like guaranteed a slot like during every holiday sale like on one of the days yeah right it's crazy and that all changed around like 2012 or 2013 matthew was joking as one of the guys i work with about uh, talking about the indie apocalypse and i'm like i'm not gonna (laughs) talk about the indie apocalypse and here i am fucking talking about the indie apocalypse so we're gonna stop talking about the indie apocalypse let me go down my list of questions um i've actually sort of accidentally covered a lot of them even though i haven't really asked you any questions um uh, let's get to one of the fun ones. Are there so your game is about food, uh-huh. right? And although you don't you don't cook a lot of food, you you like food, I do. right? You, you're create you're adventurous with your your food eating. I um, you know you can't really be in West Texas, but I try to be <laughs> when I'm not in West Texas. <laughs> so the question are there are there any foods in the game that like have a special meaning or significance or connection? Um. Like they have like a story that go with them or why they're in there or like that they mean something to you and that's why they're in there. I think uh, the Ryan Davis burger I put in there. Um, he was the guy that, that first gave me my big break with Cooks Are Delicious because when I first launched it, I made about $400 uh, and that was my opening everything. And that was all I had made. And I'm like, well, that's it. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't make games anymore. And it wasn't until Giant Bomb featured me and Ryan Davis uh, picked up my game and uh, then... I made 30,000 in that week alone, which was wow. the most money I'd ever made in games. And then of course it just took off from there when I put it on steam and all that. But, uh, so then I made a burger after him and then unfortunately he passed away, uh, I think a year or two later. And that burger always meant that people really, I'm glad he saw it, you know, it, it's a weird thing to, to say, but I'm glad he saw it, you know, before he passed. Yeah. And it wasn't so much like a memorial to him, but it was more of a fun thing uh, yeah. to, to put that in there. And then he, it's now it's kind of in there forever as just a reminder of uh, just the guy that, that I really uh, looked up to and enjoyed all his work that he did. And 
Yeah. So there's there's that, and there's a few other recipes that uh, uh, like customers, well not customers, but like game players uh, write in with their stories about how uh, this one person. I don't think I can get too much into it because it's kind of like a personal story. But once mm-hmm. I heard it all, I'm like, well, I got to name a burger after you, and I, uh, <laughs> I ended up doing that. And it's just kind of there's some neat ones like that. And then as far as stuff like uh okonomiyaki like i had never tried yep. that until i went to seattle and he actually made okonomiyaki and yep. i'll always associate that with that time there because it was just such a neat experience and I, i'm forever grateful for that I, I just thought it was delicious and fun and everything yeah uh, no I, I, that was i think that was a fun way for us to like first hang out right yeah. it's like here's a new food for your or i guess you'd, you'd put it in the game but you'd never had it yeah i never was had the backstory it, yeah. yeah and not that my okonomiyaki is very uh authentic or whatever it's the but best yeah okonomiyaki i've ever had <laughs> <laughs> like if i was probably the best that, in west texas too oh sure <laughs> if i said that to anybody in west texas they'd be like oh bless you i'm like no <laughs> please i've had this somebody can make it around here of course i can't make it i can't make anything so there's uh the frito pie that was uh, that one i guess that's good. not is that a te- is that a local thing where you are i've never even heard of that See, before I but i saw it in the game i'm like what is that yeah i uh so normally you get like a bag of Fritos and you just open it and you pour chili and you put a spoon in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I tried to make it a little more appetizing uh, in a little basket like that. Uh, and then there's stuff like sopapillas, which whenever I hear somebody say, what is that? I'm like, oh, you poor, poor soul. How can you not hear of sopapillas? Like, I don't understand that. And this, what, what is that? Is that like fried tortilla covered with like honey and stuff? Yeah, or? sugar and stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do do they have sopapillas in Seattle? Surely they do. Uh, there's not a lot of good Mexican food in Seattle. Um, I guess it depends on where. Like, there's certain areas that have more or less. Like, where I am, there's not a lot. Um, there was a, a burrito place that was briefly open in Redmond that put French fries on the burritos. That's not how you make a burrito. And <laughs> they, they called it, like, a Southern California-style burrito oh, or something. No. I'm not I'm not sure. Oh, no. Um but then they, they 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 tore down that shopping center along with everything else in Redmond. I'm, They're in the process of replacing our entire city with uh, uh, like huge apartment buildings. Oh no! Yeah, it's, it's, it happens. <laughs> yeah, it's there's all kinds of like I guess we're kind of living in two like both of our cities are just kind of like booming, but in a way that it yeah. directly affects people that live there. That and you're just kind of like no, <laughs> I like how things were. I don't know. Yeah like not in a good way at least with us it's not in a good way because it will there will be a bust at some point and then nothing will be here um, yeah but then real estate will be cheap again and then you get that office you've always wanted oh, yeah there you go that's, that's right now that that's the problem we, we actually just like signed another uh, renewed our lease because it's like oh the prices here are just going up and up and up because they keep making it harder to find office buildings oh, and like man. oculus moved in here oh no with like five thousand people or something Jeez. and so like apparently yeah it's like uh like we're running out of space like i don't <laughs> I don't want to have to move. Yeah, yeah, I I get that. It's it's a big old mess. Yeah, I feel like indie indie games are a good like counter cyclical uh, business to be in because like when people have nothing else going on, like indie games are pretty cheap and they'll entertain you, and uh, and then everything gets cheaper, uh, which <laughs> is good for being an indie developer. So I think so. I I find it weird when indies. There's some people that are like, we never discount our games ever, and I'm like, <laughs> that's not. I get what you're doing. Like you're adding value to your game. You feel like this game deserves that value and you don't want to cheapen it, but making a discount opens your game up to another audience that would have never seen it. I mean, like yeah. the Nintendo Switch, I, there's so much stuff on there. I, If your game released 
two weeks ago, I won't find it. Like their, oh, yeah. their store is awful. But if you're in the uh, deal of the week uh, kind of catalog thing, I always check that out because not so much for the discounts, but because it's a new way to surface old games. And there have been a lot of games that I've bought because I've just never seen it until it's hit that. Interesting. And, and they were on sale. Yeah. I mean, that's like a bonus <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> so it's it's weird. I, I don't understand that logic from people. Like, discounts are good. I want to ask you some more questions sure. about your, your game design process. Um, some of these are a little obscure. Um, so tell, me, tell me about a time that you screwed up and then how you survived it. Ooh, boy. Well, we, we talked earlier about that, like the classic mode, which maybe wasn't like a screw up, but it wasn't exactly a success. I uh, So I write articles on Kama Sutra, uh, blog post type things. <clears throat> I've written eight so far. It's how I'm doing uh, making games. And when I first started, it was way back with the oil blue. And I was excited because I had made like $1,000. And I'm like, I got to tell the world. This is amazing. You know? And um, I uh, wrote it and I knew, and I had said this in the article, that uh, I was writing them to either be an inspirational story or a story of what not to do. And I really meant that because I thought there's a very good chance that I'm going to do things wrong and this will be for people to learn. Cautionary tales. And it's neat to watch part two, one, part two, part three, and I'm making more and more money until it kind of just explodes. And so you see it chronologically throughout the years well the reason i bring that up is because um i wrote in the latest article how uh with cooks are delicious i did a expansion and it was like uh the battle kitchen uh what was it called what's the name of my game battle kitchen it's like a battle kitchen expansion and um it's like a whole bunch of new type of scenarios and local multiplayer and all this stuff and I was trying to get it done in time for November and then Steam emailed me and asked me if I would have it ready in time because they wanted to feature it as a daily deal. And um, it was just a free expansion, but it was gonna kind of prop up Cook Serve Delicious again. And I uh, ended up barely making it, but it was so stressful at the time. And I thought I have got to give myself a longer lead time. I'll never do that again. That was the most stressful time you know I've ever had. And then I did that again with Cook, Serve, Delicious 2. Like I was running out the <laughs> clock. I ended up delaying it a month. And when I released it, it was a really botched launch. Like the menus had no mouse support. Uh, I had to cut it. Like I was cutting everything. It's like uh, I was just throwing everything off the boat and trying to stay afloat. And I just... What, what was pushing your that deadline? Um, me. <laughs> That's the worst part about it. Literally just me. And I was very aware that um, the new date that I had was two weeks before Cuphead. Um, that was like another big indie game. But honestly, there was not really a lot being released. Um, and so mainly it was me not wanting to delay it again. And it was too late for early access because Steam has rules. Like if you put your game up, um, it has to be early access first if you're going to do early access you can't change it you know Mm, which i don't know if it's like that anymore but that wasn't an option i didn't want to delay it again because i was not sleeping i was very unhealthy and i was just just a complete mess and i thought i have to release it just for my health and my sanity because at least i can keep working on it when it's broken of course at the time i wasn't thinking about reviews and stuff I was just barely <laughs> focused on living because, I mean, literally I was waking up at night uh, choking. Like I, I, I was uh, kind of like suffocating almost, like anxiety. Wow. 
and it was just a tumultuous time it, it was so bad i there's a restaurant designer in the game where you can design your own restaurant i wrote yeah. that in a day like that kind of thing <laughs> you would have to take a month to really nail it because you're putting art on walls and you're doing booths and it, i wanted to make it like the sims kind of thing i had to mm-hmm. do it in a day and boy you could like you could it's just the way it's it's all duct taped together like i don't even know how it even works but it actually works uh there's some weird bugs in it too that I never managed to figure out, but hopefully nobody sees it. So, uh, yeah, it was just an awful, awful launch. Um, and I gradually got the game better and better to where it is now. And I was able to move the rating from, I think, 80% at its lowest to now it's 88%, which is good. It's solid, uh, but it's not like at 95%, which is where Cooks of Delicious 1 is. Um, and that was just my biggest mistake all the time is time management. Because I always think something's not going to take very long. And I just end up screwing myself. Well, that's like a weird kind of time management where you actually had all the time in the world. I did. Like, I was forcing that on myself. And um, and I think part of that, too, is I didn't have a cushion of money. I was running low on money because oh, yeah. I had set Okay, aside, that'll, that'll change yeah. things. <laughs> well, because before Cooks Are Delicious, I was working on another game. And I had eight artists working on that. And I had spent over 200000 on that game. And I ended up shelving that game for Cooks Are Delicious 2. And I had to take those seven artists and take one artist with me to Cooks Are Delicious 2 to work on. And so it was a very, it was a much smaller kind of game. But I thought if I don't make a sequel, you know, I won't make a sequel until like 2025 or something. Because this other <laughs> game I'm making so big, like by then no one's going to know what Cooks Are Delicious is. So it was kind of like a business uh, idea. Yeah. Um, and because of working on two projects, expensive projects back to back like that, I just was running low on cash. Um, but I'm glad things are better now. And uh, I think because they are, I'm able to take my time with my next game, I think. But at the same time, I'm like, I could get this done in eight months. <laughs> and, but I'm trying not to do that to myself again. It's just so hard. I just I don't know how to fix that, except just force myself not to think that way. That's very difficult to do. Yeah, that is. Do y'all have deadlines and stuff that y'all try to set? I mean, I'm sure you do. No. Oh, we. Uh, <laughs> well, so our. I mean, part. I guess my my philosophy is sort of that you can't like you you can't just force like you can't force anything to happen in a fixed amount of time, right? Like you can't just say like we want to do all these things and then we want to do it in this small amount of time, right? Like you just can't compress things quite like that. You just have to either make the time bigger or you have to subtract work, right? And so any deadlines that we could add, we know that they would be fake. And so they'd be pointless, right? Like, so we get rid of the deadlines. I, I think part part of this works because when I look at a project, I, I see it through to the end in my head. It's like, okay, how big does this need to be so we can release it? Like, what do we need to have in this to actually make it something we can release? And so I, I feel like I always have a pretty good idea of like where we are in the process and like what's left to do and how long it would take. And then from there, it's just a pro- it's like a thing of managing scope, right? Where it's like saying like, oh, well, like what... Like, what, what do we need to do for this game to work? What's important? What's not important? Like, what can we get rid of, right? Like, if you, everything you get rid of, it makes it so your game is done sooner, which means you get to get it out sooner, which means you get to start working on another game, Yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I, I get bored pretty quickly, so I don't really <laughs> have, like, a, an incentive to, to make a game that takes, like, five years to make, right? Yeah. That is not, that is, that, that would be very bad for I me. I don't understand and, and how people can do that. 
I, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but so the fact that I want to get these games finished means that I can just focus on like, okay, what can we do to get this game out faster? Like, what what can we cut away? I think especially like we Ironclad Tactics was a little bit of like a hiccup for us because it not only did it not do as well as we we wanted it to, but we actually spent a lot of like time and money making something like parts of it that we probably shouldn't have spent that on. Ah. Right? It has like a whole in-game graphic novel that's telling the story, yeah. and like the thing that I would say now is that like, okay, like it's good to have a story, but like. To put so much time and resources into it is not a good use of those time and resources. Yeah, yeah. Our game design, like the strength of our game design, our game designs are in the mechanics. And and so to spend so much effort on something that does nothing to support the mechanics is not like, that's not good scheduling. That's not good like a production, you know? Yeah. And um, and so now we, we try to think really hard about like, well, what can we get rid of? What can we cut down? Like, what can we make simpler um, to support the things that the game is actually really good at? That's interesting. I, uh, yeah, my way was just kind of like, I want to add all this. And then it's like, okay, I need to strip all of this two weeks before I'm shipping it. <laughs> yeah. And then add it. Exactly. Later. And that's not a great, that's not a great yeah. thing to do. Yeah. I, I think if, if you can't, if you have the ability to remove deadlines, it's strictly better as long as you have the discipline to like not try to do everything. Cause I think that's how those five year games happen. Yeah. Right. Is that people think like, oh, I have to do all of these things or else this game won't be good. It's like, really? Like, are they all <laughs> equally important? Like they're, they're probably not all equally important. And that, that's one of the nice things about making very similar games too is that you start to learn like but when you're making like the second cooks are delicious you yeah. knew you know you, you have a better idea about what was important in the first one and what was less important right especially yeah. if you have metrics yes right if you can just straight up see that oh nobody is using this feature you know or people try it once and then never go back to it yeah. right like you can learn stuff like that yes yeah exactly um but I, I don't know when you want to get to that but it gets yeah we can talk about metric stuff yeah i'm sort of running out of running out of stuff to talk about sure sure and and we've been on this for a while so yeah well metrics who knew <laughs> like they're amazing <laughs> wow has that has that changed your your design process it's so the biggest hugest surprise for me so you can use a game pad uh, or you can use keyboard and mouse and my gut feeling was 60 percent keyboard 40 percent game pad and i was going by that metric as a design philosophy, even though I pulled that out of thin air, like mm -hmm. it, I didn't get that from anybody. Okay. And now I have metrics, and it's uh, eighty-five percent keyboard, mouse, fifteen percent gamepad. Oh, and interesting. I'm, I'm blown away by that. I did not think it was going to be that low. My friend thought it was five percent gamepad. Like he thought nobody used it. Yeah. And uh, if I hadn't built this game to port on consoles, then I'd really be thinking, well what value is having a gamepad honestly like i'd have to really think about that next time um because it this game especially this game a lot of work had to go into creating the ideal um control method for it um oh yeah, yeah. that's especially important because there's like such a like disparity between the different input methods yeah i had to make sure and I'm, we launched on playstation um uh, two days ago and i'm so relieved that somebody got a platinum already because that just tells me <laughs> that it's beatable on a gamepad i wasn't actually sure but uh yeah so it's it's weird i um some numbers in here i'm just completely shocked other ones i kind of understand um there are some like accessibility features that i just added kind of for fun like remove all insects from the game in case you have kind of this oh yeah <laughs> yeah and it was uh let's see Two percent of people use it, which I get a kick wow. out of. I mean, that's that's something. That's not nothing. 
<laughs> that's very high. Yeah, that's that's similar. We have a lot of we we've, we started adding some accessibility features to our games, like disabling the we call it hermit mode, oh, uh, really? disabling the leaderboards and histograms, so that like oh. when you're playing the game, you don't have anybody else's scores shown like shoved in your face. <laughs> that's pretty good. It turns out there's a and and I I added it because like like three people asked me for it, yeah. but it's actually like a one percent thing. Like way more people than just three people turn that on. It turns out it was actually sort of like a silent majority, you know, a silent minority. I don't know, <laughs> a, a, a silent larger than I expected minority. Mm. Is that yeah. there's a lot of people who want that off, and we just never really like got enough emails about it to think about doing it until recently. Huh. There's some stuff that makes no sense to me. Like 36 percent of people access the options menu. Like, shouldn't I? I don't understand that. I would have thought it would be like 100 percent. Like the first thing I do when I play a game is I'm going to the options. Mm. So is it ever? You might have. I mean, you you only started collecting data after. Is this only so? New this is only play? a week, and this is okay. after a year's. Uh, the game has been out for over a year. Okay, and so, so it's possible that a lot of them access. The oh, you options know what? Menu. You're right. That I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. It, that's one of the benefits of getting it in from the beginning. Ah, right. Yeah. So this is this is kind of like a test bed for my next game. Uh, that yeah. makes a lot more sense now that you said that i'm glad i brought that up i was very confused you could you could um if you create an event for like the first time that somebody starts up the game yeah right if you have some way to like figure out if they've started the game before then you could like figure out like you know like like 30 percent of people in the database have just started playing since metrics oh, have been sure. added and then like you know 80 percent of them have gone into the options menu that would make a lot more sense yeah i could probably do that <laughs> and it's stuff that I'm relieved like 25% of people use the designer mode which is the restaurant decorator and kind of oh. the whole game revolves around you unlocking designer stuff so that's good that it's that doesn't seem like a high number but it's high for me because I'd like yeah that's good because it's this thing that doesn't really affect the game at all but people enjoy it I assume if they're trying it out at least once so you're it's kind of it's been super fascinating because um, I'm getting to see people play my game in a way that even when people stream, I think people are very aware that they're streaming and um, they don't read the descriptions, you know, they don't read the in-game emails, they don't go through <laughs> all the menus. So I'm not getting an actual uh, representation of how a person plays, you know. And uh, what Metrics has done is super fascinating. It's just letting me kind of see how people interact with my game. And I know that's like a very simple, of course, that's what it does. But for me, it's revelatory because I've never had that kind of information before. Yeah. It's super. It really neat. changes your ability to design when you know what people are doing with your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's really fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Cool. Cool. That's fun. This is one of the things that I usually tell people about, and then it, the podcast is over, and so we never oh. hear back. Like we never check in with people. Be like, oh, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> right. So this is yeah. cool that we did that part. Like I did the uh, the preaching uh, offline <laughs> months ago, and uh, and now we can talk about the results. It's it's really neat, um, but yeah, it's it's a lot to go through, and it's it's fascinating. Like I definitely made a hard game. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> it's hardcore. It's so hardcore right. it was banned from the Apple can't, can't App say Store. That. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to like sense like blur it out. Like it's <laughs> it's hardcore. It's very uh very core. Very yeah. strong core <laughs> game. Yeah. <laughs> um 
It's normcore. <laughs> um, oh, no. Okay, so two two boring questions, or not boring questions, two two like softy questions, okay. and I think we're Soft done. Softy questions. So first question is, uh, what's, where does your studio name come from? Vertigo Gaming is not entirely obvious. Um, I thought it sounded neat, and now I kind of don't like it. But I'm. What, how long ago did you come up with <laughs> when that? When I very first started making games, like in junior high. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the Zactronics is an old name like oh, that. Really? If you can't tell, yeah. <laughs> I like that name though. That's cool. Uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, like mine, it's like because then another company called Vertigo Games came up, and I used to be Vertigo Games, and I told them, "Hey, you need to change your name." I was here first, and uh, they did. And then another company named Vertigo Games came. And uh, I told them that, and they didn't do anything. And then uh, they started making bigger games, and I'm like, "Oh, great! Arizona Sunshine and some other shooter oh, games." Oh shit! So I had to change it to Vertigo Gaming Inc. So that's recent. Yeah, and I get support emails sometimes from people like, "Why'd you ban me in Arizona Sunshine or whatever games they make? I want to be unbanned." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you got the wrong game. You got the wrong company. This is that's not me. But hey, check out my wow. game cooks are delicious while you're here. No, I, I don't know what. Sometimes I feel like answering their support emails for them because I just hate that they kind of. It's such a generic name, like whatever. Yeah. I, I probably if I had to do it again, I, <laughs> I joke about this, but I'd like to be lazy devs because that would be funny because everybody's like, oh, lazy devs. Be like, oh. <laughs> but then at the same time, if we ever did something bad, that would just be an obvious joke. So. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to throw that at them. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's funny. It, kind of. A, boring way of saying i just i'm stuck with it now stuck with the name yeah no i I get that at least i don't have the problem of people like accidentally having the same name as us yeah oh yeah i guess so vertigo does seem that that's definitely like a very game studio sounding name yeah um okay so then final question um so in in cook serve delicious you have all these like specific food mechanics right Mm -hmm. like like the chicken you have to pound it and so like you you tap like the pound key to like pound the chicken and tenderize it yeah and stuff right so what like what are some of your favorites or a favorite um like like food mechanic from the game um because a lot of the things are just picking like you say like oh they want like these condiments so you hit the condiment keys and it squirts them on but like some of them are like a little bit beyond that they're like special i don't know how you think about them but i think of them as like special mechanics yeah well the first game was nothing but those kinds of specialty things but then once we expanded from 30 foods to 220 foods like it was all going to be kind of samey and i kind of knew that going in that was going to be a problem um but uh i still have a lot of ones that are that are very different from each other some that are completely unique what i want to do is the game has a sense of humor where it doesn't it invites you to laugh at it uh, i never make the humor overly um, obvious so when a player does the tenderizing of the meat in the very first game, um, uh, there was the streamers. Uh, well, it was uh, Felicia Day and her brother. And so they had hit the tenderizer button seven times instead of six times in the, with the chicken. And it looks the same. And they served it and it was an average order. And so the guy joked. He's like, <laughs> oh, no, my chick is too tender. Get this away from me. And they were laughing. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. So then in the <laughs> second game, if you tenderize it, one more over the chicken explodes and it looks like a gigantic oh, mess. What? yeah it's this big explosion of meat and like i didn't want to put anything on it like uh, don't over tenderize meat i wanted players to kind of find that out for themselves if that ever happened to okay them, because it's hilarious when it happens yeah and there's kind of these funny jokes like that where it's 
it happens uh, and it's not going to happen to everybody but it's really it, it kind of invites the player to laugh kind of like wow i'm i'm real dumb <laughs> and you just kind of laugh at it and i love that kind of stuff in the game where um where i'm kind of envisioning something happening to a player whether they're streaming it or they're playing it and i think that would be funny but i have to make sure that the game doesn't know it's funny because the game can <laughs> never know that it's funny you know it's not funny that all these guys are walking in very straight face i think it's hilarious but the game never points it out you know the game would never say anything about it and you can never make these people happy even if you serve them a perfect order <laughs> so it's just kind of the logic of because some games they're full of memes and stuff gosh that age yeah. is so bad yeah yeah and totally it's just that kind of um it's it's kind of weird yeah <laughs> so i i agree yeah i think that we take a sort of similar approach yeah you like you yeah. don't want it to be like hey look i'm funny laugh at yeah, this like, yeah like the absurdity of it uh because i love like naked gun and stuff that's very much okay. a show where it's just like it it doesn't it invites you to laugh at the absurdity of everything and uh to hear about uh exopunks and because i haven't played it yet i really want to but with this playstation launch it's just been like crazy time for me but i'm gonna play it during my holiday break <laughs> but uh i've heard people talk about it and it's just kind of like uh, the e-zine and the uh like you print out this magazine and stuff and it's this this kind of cool awesome stuff that sounds uh you know the ads for different things and it sounds funny but it's funny because the game presents it i'm assuming so seriously right like it's mm -hmm. it's very much a, it's not a joke yeah, yeah. But that's what's great about it. And, and that's the kind of humor I like. It's just kind of, it's just there. Like it's not in your face. It's not innuendo kind of humor. It's just kind of, uh, so that kind of stuff, those kinds of specialty things when you're like ch chopping a head off a fish and it goes flying. When I was doing programming <laughs> streams, I didn't set the gravity right. So the head got chopped up and it was spinning rapidly and it was inching like it was in zero <laughs> gravity it was the funniest thing and i thought i should have left it in there like that that's hilarious but that that'd be too absurd <laughs> what that's why you just have it happen sometimes see i should have done that i should have yeah. totally done that <laughs> yeah that's a really that's a really good i mean i think that like I, um people talk about now like designing stuff to stream well mm -hmm. right and it doesn't sound like you're doing it in like a cynical way where you're like, oh, how can we get these streamers to play our games? Like, oh, yeah. we'll give them special loot boxes <laughs> when we know that it's them or something like that's like cynical and horrible. But like it, it sounds like you're doing that sort of more like intuitively and less cynically, I want to say. Yeah, because it's not like um, turn on this option for Twitch uh, special stuff. Uh, Eric is always telling me we need to do Twitch integration. We need to do like vote on a food that you want to serve your streamer. And I'm like, ah, like, yeah, I get it. But it's fun to see a guy almost do a perfect day and mess up on the last order. And they scream. They're like, no. And that's so funny. And everybody's enjoying it except, of course, the guy that messed up the order but yeah. who's enjoying it because he's making money yeah he's like well i, I yeah. shoot that up and he he knows or you know she knows that it's a funny moment and that they kind of lean yeah. into it yeah absolutely yeah. it's real right yeah. like it's that's that's it's yeah. not kind of like and nothing against other games that do it i'm sure they do it great um if you have the right <laughs> kind of game for it you know 
but there's something to and this was my first game was before you know streaming really took off and stuff but i certainly did make the second one with the idea of um people are going to be watching this being played so what can i kind of do to make it not obvious but have funny fun moments in the game and i think a lot of that is the specialty stuff are there any other like notable like specialty things the only one I can think of is the chicken pounding. There's one. that one. There's the creme brulee when you're trying to toast it just right. Uh, How does that work from like a mechanical standpoint? You're just holding down the button to to get the flame thrower type thing to toast it just yeah. right. And um, oh, I love the robber scenario uh, where you're punching. Oh, and where stuff. it's like a little fighting. Yeah, game. and I had to do all the voices, and that was that was <laughs> so much fun. And uh, I just wanted to be completely unexpected, that kind of thing. Because that's always fun. It's like, wait, there's a robber? And then, wait, I'm punching him? It's just kind of <laughs> like... And and it's what's more funny to me is I've seen the reaction when a streamer does it for the first time. They're like, oh my gosh, I got to punch him. Oh, wow. So then like they're on their 10th stream and they're playing the game. And there might be somebody that comes into the game for the first time watching the streamer. And here comes the robber. And so she pulls it up right away and just pow, 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 and just beats him. And then she goes on to the chicken and the guy's like, what What happened just now? Did she beat up that guy? What was that? And she, they're like, what? They don't even know what they just saw. And that's even funnier to me because it's just like part yeah. of your daily routine. Like, oh, I got yeah. to kill this guy and now I got to make this creme brulee. So, yeah, it, it's it, that type of stuff's always fun for me to watch. And, and I like that specialty stuff. What else is there? Um, there's not a whole lot, unfortunately, because a lot of those foods are kind of samey um yeah but uh the ones that like you said 220 foods that's a lot of food it's a lot maybe too much but i kind of don't think so (laughs) i i I think it's fine like at some point i had to make the decision of i hate to say it like quantity over quality i think they're all quality (laughs) i think it's great but you know there is more variety weirdly enough in the first game even though there's only 30 foods because they all felt different this game is very different from a gameplay's perspective. And like I said, I think if you were to take these foods and put it in the first game, it wouldn't work. Like, it wouldn't work at all because they're very dynamically different. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish there was a few more specialty foods in there. And uh, who knows down the line. Because I actually put the barista expansion in there. And I was able to put yes, in... recently. Yeah. I was able to put in all the foods that... Uh, I just made it so difficult and because I wanted people to see just how awful it was being a barista and <laughs> people call up those orders. They're like, oh, my gosh, there's so many milks and, and so many oh, syrups yeah. <laughs> and I, I can't. Oh, I feel the most gratifying thing I heard somebody say was, I understand now what it's like to be a Starbucks employee. I'll never yell at them again for making my coffee wrong. I'm like, man, that feels good. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. I played. I tried the barista stuff, and I was overwhelmed. I'm just like, there's way too much yeah. shit here. Like, I can't. It's it's can't way too up. much. It's very hard. And I did that kind of on purpose because it, it it is. It's actually legitimately hard like that in real life, and I didn't want to dumb it down, you know. Okay, I've got one more question for you. Actually, this one's a little controversial. Okay, not really. <laughs> so, um, so you have a game about making food and serving it. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously from like a narrative standpoint, like a, a like financial aspect there mm-hmm. of like running a business, right? And making money and a profit. Mm-hmm. Do you have a mode where that's a thing? Because like, 
Well, you're making and money to buy that? foods for your small well, restaurant. It's just something where you're like trying to run like a business, like the economic. Is there like any is at any point in either of the games? Mm-hmm. Is there like a like an economic simulation or like a business simulation? It was probably more in the first game than the second, and uh, I ended up ditching that in the second. Um, I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not. It certainly made it a different game. But there aren't really any manager aspects uh, to it. Like, there's nothing you're kind mm-hmm. of keeping up with. Like, uh, I need to order more inventory or else I'm going to run out of patties. It's it's nothing like that. And I think that's a fascinating direction to go in if I was to do a third game. But, um, yeah, because money as it exists in the first game mattered a little bit more than the second game, for sure. Actually, it mattered a lot more. The second game, I don't know if... Um, people really use the money at all because if you're only playing the restaurants there's like 400 levels there are 400 levels in the second game where you're working at different restaurants and there's also like a free play mode where you're working in your own restaurant and that's where you use the money to buy foods and stuff and um you know looking at the data not everybody in fact a majority of people don't play that mode so you end up with all this money that really doesn't really do anything and um Ah, yeah, I kind of messed up there. I think. I think. Interesting. So you, you think it would be good to explore that more? Oh, for sure. I think so. Interesting. So for for comparison, like in in a lot of our games, I think there's been like a desire over the years to do some sort of economic thing, and then it never makes it into the final version. Of the game <laughs> really? Because it it like if if your success or failure is based on some sort of like meta resource management meta game i i feel like it really undermines the experience of what happens on like the inner like core game thing right like if you can cook all the food and it's like be really great at that but then you fail because like you did a poor job like managing some sort of like far less flashy and like not the point of the game like economic simulation right like it, it undermines the whole thing yeah maybe you're right um because you know people have said uh you should have more manager kind of aspects to it. And that's interesting, but that's not really what you're coming to my game for, you know? Yeah, it's kind of a different game. Yeah, it really is. And I could actually take out money completely, and I could have just done foods where you unlock it, like uh, earn three bronze medals and pick whatever food you want. You know, you can make it to where your game, uh, the way you play the game and the better you are, the more food you can get. Instead of this weird money situation where I have to figure out, okay, steak is worth $1,200 and creme brulee is worth $500. And you're having to balance all this. And it doesn't, it's it's a very weird dynamic that I don't know works or not, honestly. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it makes the game any better. Like you're saying, I think you're right. I think there's there's kind of like a, a like a ludonarrative dissonance too because like the person who does the cooking is not always the person who's doing that planning. Yeah. Right? And a lot of time the economics has less to do with like the performance of the people cooking. Like you just kind of assume that those people who are cooking can cook and like if they can't you fire them and replace them with someone who can. <laughs> yeah. Right? And like all of the business of it has no, you're just assuming that the food is cooked correctly <laughs> and then you do the business stuff, right? And so those games like in real life those two games have nothing in common. Yeah like it's yeah. yeah you're right i you talked me out of it <laughs> no but like <laughs> sorry i wasn't trying to talk you into it or out of it but yeah like I, that's why I we've do never think, done something uh, like that i do think when you're spending money to make the experience better that's fun 
when you're spending money and you get an extra prep station or you get an extra mm, yeah. mechanic that lets you flush the toilet less, that feels something in the game. But if it's yeah. the stuff like you need to pay your workers that you never see uh, this much a day, and <laughs> you need more patties, you're almost out. And, uh, that's not. That sounds so not fun to me. And yet people ask about that a lot. Yeah, I think that's a corollary. We can use that as a, a bookend. Uh, that, that was the first thing we started talking yeah. about, where people ask for things, and it's not always clear that like they really want what they're asking for. Yeah, but maybe they are. Who knows? Yeah, like I give it to them, and it's exactly what they asked for, and they're like, "That's not at all what I wanted." I'm like, "That's exactly <laughs> what you told me." Uh. <laughs> yeah. That's always the risk, certainly. Pretty much. Okay. Um, is there anything you want to pitch, or anything you want to mention? Uh, or talk about Delicious is we go? on PlayStation. Uh, t- PlayStation PlayStation 4 I don't yeah PlayStation 4 yeah that's been that's a whole nother story there who boy but it's out (laughs) was that hard no but yes like it wasn't hard at all making the game but there's a lot of paperwork and that has to do with all three three people when you're first starting there's just so much bureaucracy and and games coming out like you wouldn't think so when you see some of these really crappy games on these platforms but a lot of paperwork went in to get those crappy games on the store and (laughs) i have a little more respect for them now (laughs) (laughs) or they just should be spending their time making better games than doing paperwork that's a good point as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so crazy like steam it's so easy to put a game on steam yeah it really like it takes like barely any effort right and like yeah like sony or something it's just such a like i never want to make another console game ever again like it's such a pain in the ass to like go through all that stuff and like i guess we're probably going to at some point but like i'm not looking forward to it yeah like it's cool it's i i talked about when do i feel like i've made it i feel like i've made it now that i'm on playstation yeah it's a common thing i feel like (laughs) now i'm a real game developer my game is on playstation yeah because again going back to like uh oh where's your game oh on mobile and it's like oh okay well (laughs) but now i can say oh it's on playstation 4 but uh it's funny because you go on steam you press one button and it's like i want to make uh this game Uh, i'm going to call it racing sim 2 and then you click create and it's like okay there you go tell me uh, <laughs> tell us when you want to upload it and you're good and with uh let's say another console manufacturer you have to submit proposals be like okay here's what we're going to make and hopefully they'll accept it and it goes through all the stuff and oh yeah it's weird god i forgot about that yeah you can't just put a new game no, on there like you have to which i didn't expect like especially like i said you see this kind of crap that i don't get how it made it approved at all i don't get it weird 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 yeah i think we had to actually submit like a pitch document for our games that were like totally out on pc yes that's exactly what i had to do okay yeah like that's this yeah yeah, yeah right i don't oh i shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> i guess we can't really talk about that but oh we can but we probably shouldn't <laughs> but yeah um it's yeah strange. no it's crazy i i had someone come and talk to me once from sony who was like you know i'm like on like a skunkworks team like on like the playstation te- you know like with playstation and like um like how can we make it better for you as a developer <laughs> and i basically just described steam <laughs> and it's like they're they're very concerned with like making sure their experience is perfect right which obviously steam is not 
but yeah. like when you have that leeway like when when you can actually push builds for games like every day right like it's on us to make sure our game isn't buggy like they're so worried about developers pushing buggy games that like they don't even enable like the developers to make properly unbuggy games yeah make them do it all up front yeah i don't know it's it's, it's weird. weird because with steam i'm in direct control of everything like if mm-hmm. i want to fix something on the store i fix it and it's fixed uh, with any of these other consoles, it's I'm having to hand my work to somebody and hope they don't trip and fall and throw all my papers up in the air and and I hope it all goes <laughs> one piece to the place that they're going and then if it's not, you know I have to send them another email and then it's just this weird chain of command that I'm not used to. It's it's yeah. it's not great, but I get it. You know <laughs> I, I get it that's how it has to be they're, di- <laughs> they're dinosaurs from a long time ago obviously it's yeah. very sure okay okay so cook serve delicious 2 out on playstation coming to switch next year nice uh, hopefully coming to xbox we'll see um and then uh we'll see from there i'll hopefully have some announcements next year for new stuff cool. and i'm sure you'll have new announcements next year for stuff Oh yes, yeah. It's almost twenty. Yeah, that's almost next year. So yes, <laughs> is it only one? I'm pro- like, we could get something out before then. It's like, oh no, no, it's December nineteenth. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> do you have? Do you have? You only work on one project at a time, yeah. Uh we are technically working on two things at the same oh, time now, great. but they are a. It's a bundle, and it's because of like the division of labor between like the five people on our team. But I, I am someone who would never work on two games at once, except for the fact that we are now. <laughs> uh, that sounds but, fun. Well, I wish I could do that. Yeah, it's not. No, it's not good. Like you, you can only you can. I have to like take turns with them. Like you can only love one game at a time. Like I have three games and I want to so, make, and I'm. Oh yeah, no, you can't. That you got to do them one at a time. That's that's generally the rule. Yeah, I guess. Especially if it's just one person. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. but that's why you have to make them faster. Because then you can make all the games you want because they're all I'm trying. I'm trying so much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we can we can wrap this up. So thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. And I hope this was fun and educational for everyone. And hopefully it'll be another, you know, less than two years before I do another episode of this.